If you believe in God, you want to get to the place in your life with God that you're on the good side of God. Because the alternative is not what we're hoping for, right? I mean, whatever kind of God a person might believe in, whatever kind of being a person might put their faith in and worship, Ultimately, what we want is to get to the end of our lives on the good side of that deity. And we spend our lives trying to get on the good side of the God we worship. And it's not an insignificant thing to want. In fact, it's a natural thing to want. Because again, the alternative is what we don't want. It takes us down all kinds of roads that we don't want to travel. And this is the mindset that people have had from the very beginning as they think about a deity, a God that they worship. And it is certainly an important part of the mindset of everyone who worships Yahweh, God. In fact, Jesus on a number of occasions in a variety of ways and places tells us that this is why he has come. He has come to help us understand what it means to be in the right place with God. And one of the places where Jesus explains this, one of the places where Jesus talks about this, is in the parable that we read a few moments ago this morning. In this parable, Jesus says that there are two men who go up to the temple to pray. It is a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, Pharisees are the epitome of moral goodness. And tax collectors are the epitome of moral brokenness. I mean, Jesus could probably not choose two more extreme people to talk about. On the one hand, you have the Pharisees who spend their lives studying the law, understanding the law, memorizing the law, and obeying the law. Everything that God teaches in the Old Testament and all the ways in which the rabbis through the years have expounded on the laws of the Old Testament. They know it all, they do it all. And on the other extreme, you have a tax collector who basically has decided to collude, getting into, uh, to collude with the Romans, the oppressors of Israel, in order to fleece his own people. He is the, he's the one who knows everything about what everybody gets, everybody owns, everybody has. And he, he says to the Romans, come to him and say, look, you know a lot of things about people. If you help us, we'll help you. And so, so they come to him and said, he goes to the Romans and says, look, you might not realize it, but my neighbor has a second field that he hasn't told you about, and he's got a hundred sheep on it. You can tax him on that. And the neighbor comes to the guy, what are you doing to me? I thought we were friends. He says, well, you know, money's more, better, more important to me than friends. And, and he is a means of helping the Romans take advantage of the Jews. You can understand why the tax collectors are not exactly loved. And you can understand in this parable, everybody who's listening is saying, I don't even have to be a Pharisee to think I'm better than a tax collector. And you have these two men coming to worship. What I find interesting is Jesus says to them, he says, these two men go up to the temple to pray. 
Now, we tend to think of that, in my mind, I always did for a long time, as the, you have these two men who are coming to church, and they might do what some of us did a few moments ago, come down to the altar and pray, or sit in the pew and pray, or kneel there and pray, or stand and pray. But they come and they offer prayers, and that's certainly a part of it. But often, when this phrase is used, that they come to the temple to pray, it really means they're coming to worship. So these two men are coming into the daily sacrifices and and they sing the the psalms with everyone else who is there. They listen to the scriptures read. They they give their money. They enter into prayer. And then they pray some more as the priest goes and makes the sacrifice. And it strikes me that there is something about worship that reveals our hearts. If we are a little bit bored with God we probably feel a little bit bored in worship. If we are angry with God, we probably worship with a little bit of an edge. If we think we are in pretty good shape with God, we tend to approach worship in a spirit of evaluation. I I can tell you, that's one of the things that I wrestle with. I mean, we love worshiping here. Singing. I just had someone say to me this week, man, I've been to a lot of churches, but wow, the Houghton people really sing. And it's true. When we go to, when we're visiting family or off on vacation somewhere and we go to other places of worship, it is hard for me not to evaluate that worship. I'm sitting there the whole time thinking, man, why do we do this? Why do they sing that song? Why are they doing it that way? I, I think to myself, I wish we could gather up these people, bring them back to Houghton, show them what, how enlightened people worship. <laughs> and invariably in those moments, God will tap me on the shoulder or better yet, knock me upside the head and say, what are you doing? Because when we come to worship in a spirit of openness to God, in some ways it's not it's a little bit irrelevant what happens in worship because whatever, however good or bad it may be, we still worship. And God speaks into our hearts. And we, and we leave different than we came because we came with a spirit of openness to God. I wonder sometimes if we ought to evaluate ourselves as we leave worship every Sunday and ask, do I feel, do I feel refreshed or weary? Do I feel irritated or peaceful? Do I feel like I've been made a little more like Jesus or maybe just the same? And the answer to those questions probably has something to do with our hearts as we entered worship. I know it does for me. And when Jesus talks about these two men coming to worship and he says in verse 14 that one of them leaves justified and the other one doesn't, it's because of how they entered into worship when they came. One came open to God, the other came closed off to God. And that's why Jesus says in verse 14 that those who are who are who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As I think about that maybe in modern words, it might be something like this. You're in trouble if you think you're good. And you're good If you admit you're in trouble. 
There's something about that spirit of needing God as we come to worship, as we live our lives, that puts us in a place of experiencing God in ways that we wouldn't if we're closed off. Now understand, Jesus is not saying to the Pharisee, you're you're doing the wrong things. He's not saying to the Pharisee, look, your problem is you're too uptight. You're, you're too worried about obedience. If you just sort of, Jesus isn't saying to him, look, if the Pharisee could just, could just set himself free and, and get crazy with his bad self, you know, if he could do that, then he would know what's going on here. You know, the problem is you're not sinning enough. The problem with you as a Pharisee, Jesus is not saying, you know, you, you You're not extorting people enough. You're not apathetic about injustice enough. You're not worried about these sins. That is not what Jesus is saying. And neither is Jesus saying you shouldn't practice the spiritual disciplines. He's not saying that the problem is you fast three days a week. The problem is not that you give your tithe to the church. The problem is not that you're reading the scripture too much or you're praying too much. Those are good things. Those are important things. In no way is Jesus saying those things are the problem. We ought to be doing those things. He's not saying obeying the scriptures is a problem. We ought to be obeying the scriptures. That's why they're given to us. The problem is the Pharisee believes that doing those things is what makes him right with God. And since he is doing all of those things and he's able to check off the list... He comes to worship believing that that's all he needs. And the difference is the tax collector knows he's a sinner. The tax collector admits he's a sinner. And he asks for God's mercy. And Jesus says that's why he goes away justified. That's why he goes away with a right relationship with God and the Pharisee doesn't. Because the Pharisee can't see that he too is a sinner. You see, when our lives are wrapped up in thinking that our relationship with God is about measuring stuff, it's pretty easy to feel good about ourselves. We don't really need God. But... When I, the biblical holiness and righteousness does, is not that we have accomplished so much in our walk with God that we need him less and less. Biblical righteousness and holiness realizes we give thanks to God for any success in our lives and we need him more. To be holy is to recognize how much we need God. And the most holy and righteous people I have ever known in my life are people who acknowledge more than anybody else how much they need God. How much they need Jesus. And what's fascinating to me is that when I'm around these holy, righteous people, they don't make me feel dirty about myself. When I'm around these holy, righteous people, they, put, they, they give me this mindset of, I want to be pure, and I want to be cleansed, and I want to be holy and righteous like they are. I want God to do in me what he's done in them. To be holy is not to need God less. It's to recognize how much we need God all the time. 
I wonder if one of the questions we ask ourselves is, how do I know the difference? How do I know, really, if I'm a Pharisee or a tax collector? How do I know if I'm coming to God in openness or if my mind is closed off to God? I wonder if one of the ways we know that is how we treat our mindset toward people who, who tend to have little intrinsic value in our world. I don't think it's a coincidence that immediately following this parable, Luke tells us about people bringing little children to Jesus. People, parents, they come, they bring probably babies to Jesus. And and they do that because it's been often a common practice that they bring the babies to the rabbis to bless them. They put their hands on them, they bless them, much like we do when we dedicate or baptize children. And so these people bringing people, bringing their babies to Jesus to have him bless them. And the disciples rebuke them and say, Jesus doesn't have time for babies right now. And it may be because they are recognizing from things Jesus has said that they're about, he's about to enter Jerusalem and about to enter the, the last week of his life. And things are getting serious. Things are getting tense. And, and there's just too many important things going on for Jesus to take time for babies. Maybe it's because they think Jesus is worn out and he just needs some rest. I find it ironic that in Mark chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus gets up really early in the morning and goes out to pray all by himself. And he's out there praying, and later the disciples wake up, and as they wake up and move out into the street, the crowd is gathering. They want to see Jesus. And the disciples go looking for Jesus, and when they find him, they rebuke him. Jesus, what are you doing out here? There's a whole mess of people who want to see you. Why are you wasting your time with this stuff? Come on, the crowd is waiting for you. So it's no big deal for them to interrupt Jesus in prayer or to worry about Jesus and what he's doing because there's a big crowd of people who need him. But it is a big deal for Jesus to be interrupted by babies. And there's something I think Jesus is trying to tell us here about the nature of the kingdom that that one of the ways in which we can determine the, the condition of our hearts is how we view people in society who seem to have little intrinsic value. I mean, have you ever known of a president to appoint a baby as a cabinet member? Have you ever seen a president import a baby as, as an ambassador to another country? I mean, or elected to Congress? I mean... I mean, we love babies, and babies are awesome, and they fill our lives with joy. But the truth of the matter is, babies are, they're a lot of work. The minute a baby comes into your home, you don't get more sleep, you get less. You have more work, not less work. You know, before you had a baby, if you say, hey, do you want to go somewhere for the weekend? Sure, let's just go. You have a baby, and you're like, okay, after we pack for two days, then we can maybe think about going. And then you have to second-guess yourself. We really want to go through all that. And we love babies, and we embrace them, and they're, they're a joy. But in terms of how the world operates, babies really don't contribute. They don't bring a, they're not a source of income for us. In fact, they cost us a lot. And I think they're representative of people like tax collectors. We want to be able to say, let's just shove them to the margins. Let's, let's, let's pretend they don't exist. Let's move them because they're not, they're not only 
that for tax collectors, not just not helping society, they're hurting us. And there are all kinds of people in the world like that. And he, Jesus, remember, Jesus says that the reason he tells this parable, it's about people who are confident of their own righteousness and scorn others. They look down on other people. These people, I'm better than them. They're insignificant. And now here we have the disciples acting just like the Pharisee. Jesus doesn't have time for insignificant people. And that's why Jesus says, you're wrong. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to people who the world thinks are insignificant to its intrinsic value and how we measure success. And he even takes it a step further. And he says in verse 17, here's the honest truth. If you don't enter the kingdom like a little child, you won't enter it. Jesus is not saying, now one way to enter the kingdom is to be like a little child. There are lots of other ways, but this is one way. No, he says, unless you enter the kingdom like a little child, you won't enter it. Unless you have this mindset of trust and rest and needing Jesus. I mean, I've been amazed when you think about it in all of, of nature. From what I can understand, there, there, is, there is no other animal in the world whose, whose infants take so long to get onto, able to be, live on their own as human beings do. Their babies are needy and helpless. And they rely on adults to take care of them. And they trust adults. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of perspective I want you to have with me. To acknowledge that you are needy and helpless and that I am the answer to your need and your brokenness and your life. And unless you come with that mindset, you're going to miss it. Because you're thinking like a Pharisee who believes, if I just measure up, if I do all the right things, then I'll be good with God. And I don't really need God all that much. But the heart of the gospel is, we never outgrow our need for God. We never outgrow our need for Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel. And the amazing thing is, God is continually offering us grace and calling us to himself and, and, and wooing us to come and say, let me meet your need. Let me help you. Let me be your source of life. In many ways, babies are a perfect example of how we enter the kingdom in honesty and openness about our need for Jesus. And I think that's really what this table is about. I mean, often with this table, we think, I have to be worthy to come to this table. And often the church sends that message that you have to measure up. And sometimes we think, I don't know if I should take communion today because I've had a rough week. I've yelled at my kids, I lied. I took some things from work. 
I had thoughts that I shouldn't have. I didn't trust God like I know he wanted me to. We have all kinds of things like that and we're thinking, I'm not worthy to come. But the truth of the gospel is none of us are worthy to come. Because this isn't, we don't come to this because we've earned it. We come because God is gracious and merciful and the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's imperative about coming to this table is not that we've measured up, but that we want Jesus. That we recognize our need for Jesus and we want his grace in our lives. This is an invitation to come to Jesus. To come like a tax collector who says, Lord, I'm a helpless sinner. I need you. Have mercy on me. To come like a baby who simply wants to rest in our arms and find security and hope and life. To come just as we are and find God's arms open wide to forgive and to heal and to transform and to make us new and to set us free. And that's why we call this the good news. It's not about what we earn. It's about trusting what Jesus has done. And finding in him life and hope and transformation and purity and grace to be different. To be who he created us to be. Holy Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we come to this table this morning, we pray that you will pour out your blessing upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, it may be grace and food for our souls. That we may be embraced by who you are and what you want to do in our lives. Give us the grace to come in openness and honesty and to let you do your transforming work in our hearts, our minds, our spirits, all that we are. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.